0: Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast being released by Number Ten to distract from its latest scandal. My name is Cory Hazelhurst, and my dead cat is Steve Haynes. <laughs> hey, Cory. How was Pig World?
1: Um, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah, I, I can understand why. Uh, why the Prime Minister is uh, so enamoured with it? Yes. How are its mass transportation systems? Uh, I can definitely see uh, how. Uh uh, how inspired uh, Boris Johnson has been by the uh, Peppa Pig uh, mass transit systems. Uh, and you can see that influence actually in the uh, in the, the uh, rail infrastructure proposals that they put forward. You know, they're actually quite small scale in comparison to what they should be. But, you know, it's kind of cute. How are the
0: sausage rolls? We, we don't talk about that. Tell you what we are talking about, listener. And, and hello, by the way. This is the start of the roundup of 2021. A what bloody awful year it's been too. This is why I'm breaking the podcast, No Alcohol Rule, and I'm drinking gin. The start of this is our Movers and Shakers picks. So at the start of 2021, what feels a long, long time ago, we picked the politicians we thought would move and shake. Let's see how accurate our picks were. Listeners who are uh, new to the podcast may well uh, need reminding that we pick the leader, the cabinet member, the shadow cabinet member, the commentator, a wildcard pick, all sorts of people who we think will make waves in British politics. And now is the final, it's very exciting listeners. we are going to decide which of us, out of me and Steve, is a political soothsayer. And first pick is... The leaders pick Steve. Um, you went for Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister. Amazingly, still the Prime Minister, or at least he is now. I mean, this is Thursday, so yeah, Sunday you know. it could all change. Who knows? And I picked Nicholas Sturgeon. So uh your rationale for picking Boris Johnson was that he had a chance, Steve, with his big majority, to redefine British politics and for his majority into achieving things. But we did note that in 2020, Boris Johnson had burnt through a lot of his political capital. So how did he deal with that
1: this year? Oh, boy. I think it's safe to say that Boris Johnson has not lived up to uh, any potential <laughs> that he might have had in terms of actually kind of getting things through Parliament or governing in any major way. I, I just can't even begin to, <laughs> to summarise it up. It, it, it's, it's been a terrible year for Johnson in terms of actually getting things done. Like, we're still waiting on the levelling up uh, paper, which has been delayed again. Um, it's being said that it's oh it's due to the Omicron Bear variant. It's just like mate, why would that delay it? You should be have this ready to go now. Well I think the
0: government papers had
1: to self isolate. Oh obviously, good, yeah. 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 Um and yeah, so like Johnson had a massive opportunity to actually do some stuff with his majority. Um, you know, whether we liked it or not, there was he had that opportunity there. But that involves him either having an idea about what he actually wants to happen, them defining what their catchphrases like levelling up actually mean, and it also means surrounding himself by people who can get stuff done rather than the bunch of toadies that we currently have, uh, for the most part, in Cabinet. And uh, because he's failed on all of those points, he's achieved nothing this year other than to get himself in a massive hole in the ground um which is currently in at the moment which we'll we'll talk about that on the patreon but (laughs)
0: absolutely
1: so we are not going to talk about the or
0: not too much about the christmas party although it it is obviously uh adjacent to a lot of the the other picks that we're going to have i suppose so the big issue johnson it feels like he's had this year is that as you said johnson doesn't really have much of an idea of what he wants to do he was picked by Tory MPs to be Prime Minister because they thought he would beat Jeremy Corbyn in an election which he did Johnson chose Dominic Cummings to be his strategist which he was and Cummings had a strategy and actually it feels like the loss of Dominic Cummings has been maybe more significant than we thought um Cummings actually would have been an interesting wildcard pick for this year moving aside from that Johnson's just been completely reacting to events and hasn't been able to stake out ground in the way that he would like. And it's we've highlighted on the podcast continuously this challenge the Tories have between their Red wall vote and the more fiscally conservative vote, sort of epitomised by
1: someone like Rishi Sunak. And it feels like Sunak is besting Johnson in any of the policy substance coming out. At the yeah. moment, 100 percent, and a big reason for that is there's not actually anybody in government actually pushing for the alternative. Like there aren't any red wall Tories in cabinet, I believe, or anybody that's that you would, you would say was really aligned with them. Like there's nobody actually pushing for that or that that, that alternative view compared to the to the chancellor. And uh, as a result, and because Johnson himself isn't actually pushing it because he doesn't actually believe in it. Um, he's it's just kind of fallen uh, fallen aside yet again again to the point where we are now what two years away from the um, uh, from from the general election.
0: Don't you dare start talking about a general.
1: Election, no no no, no 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 no. We're now two no. years away from the last general election, and which was all about leveling up. Oh, and we sorry. don't even have a core like notion about what that means or what the policy agenda for it is yet.
0: And even if one was to take into account the fact that the domestic side of the policy agenda was derailed by the pandemic, it's just, it's just a lack of party management as well. If you wanted big spending to happen, you wouldn't have Rishi Sunak as your chancellor. Yeah. There's a lot of tourists in the backbenches. We mentioned sort of Jake Berry, sort of Jason on this podcast, who have formed the Northern Research Group who are pushing for more investment in infrastructure. Um, as we'll, we'll talk about Johnson's sort of derailed that with a lot but quite literally in fact um so he it's a it's a very very strange because you know we've talked at the previous end of year reviews about him striding british politics like a, a colossus and maybe it's just that we are this is probably johnson's lowest point of the year lucky in may that there was the vaccine bounce i suppose and i think actually You've got commentators this week talking about how it's the beginning of the end of Boris Johnson. I saw Andrew Neil mention that this week. I think actually, as a podcast, we were probably earlier at calling that the most. Yeah,
1: yeah, but you you, you do have a lot of right wingers um, commentators and things actually talking about this and actively going, like being quite overt in their dislike of like Johnson. Now, I think it was Isabella Oakshop uh, basically just called him fundamentally dishonest, uh, which is hilarious given she's the man she's the uh, woman who put into uh, the world the story that david cameron and the pig happened but it's also how have you not noticed until now that boris johnson's a fundamentally
0: dishonest man yeah M- michael howard he resigned from michael howard's shadow cabinet a long 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 time ago now. <laughs> due to lying was sacked from his job as a journalist due to lying yeah it's almost but so so that's that's johnson not made the ways
1: that he would like no. On the other hand, Nicholas Sturgeon. Yeah, I think you chose Sturgeon on the on on the on the on kind of like on a combination of like Brexit-related stuff and independence and things like that. And I don't feel like any of it's it's come about. I don't think like it's not been as bad as Johnson's, but I don't think Sturgeon's had a good year either. No, it's interesting. So I've been listening back to our uh, the
0: the the episodes that we've done on picking movers and shakers for this episode, listening back onto the not enough champagne quiz to find out the answers to our predictions round. um, little teaser for, for later on, listeners, later this month. And there's a lot of far-fetched predictions about how we end up in a Catalan-style situation with the SNP calling rogue referendums, which, looking back on 2021, feel very, very sort of pulp novel level of, of, of fiction writing. And it, it just hasn't happened. I mean, there was Hollywood elections, Sturgeon has a majority of independence now with the Green Party. I mean, it feels you've got people. I think uh, again, disclaimer of English men trying to talk about Scottish politics authoritatively, but it feels from the outside you've got a mixture of people trying to talk about who Sturgeon's successor might be in a way that has never really happened before. But then you also have issues of the SNP being in government for a while, which are coming home to roost. Which obviously Johnson's. Um, uh, responses essentially to repeal anything Cameron did, like local enterprise partnerships which Cameron set up are now being got rid of but in Scotland you've got the horrific record over drugs policy Anna Sawa, the new Labour leader there making some interesting inroads at first ministers' questions talking about the failure of Scottish health policy as well um, and it all feels a bit like a government that's sort of running out of steam a little bit and they haven't really made roads certainly not on the UK political stage that constitutional question, it's still there but it hasn't really been an issue in British politics for this year. Could well be in the future, but well, almost certainly will be in the future.
1: Yeah, but for the time being, like it, it, it doesn't feel like the issue of a uh, of of another independence referendum is, is looming just around the corner. And it hasn't taken up a lot of government bandwidth really this year. So no score draw. Yeah, I'd like say
0: right. Cabinet Minister picks then so. You picked Priti Patel, or as we were calling her at the start of the year, the Pritster. There was a wall around her over her bullying allegations. Uh, I picked Liz Truss. And again, this is one of those picks where I've had an impeccably logic pick. And I feel like I got a lot of it right, but you might have still shaded me with your off-the-cuff pick, you fortuitous bastard. I, I picked Liz Truss because she's very popular with Tory members and is a dark horse candidate for a new next Tory leader and at the end of the year we find they're still stonkingly popular with Tory members yeah ridiculously so I think like the last like
1: uh, popularity report uh, out of conservative home which is only which they only do this with conservative party members and there's thousands of them so it actually works out as quite a decent like representative sample um had her something like 84 percent popularity or, or approval ratings it's it's nuts that's people's democratic republic levels of popularity yeah.
0: and speaking of timpah dictatorships pretty patel <laughs> um uh, my prediction at the start of the year was that she would be moved to party chair and Michael Gove would be made Home Secretary. So, Nostradamus strikes again, listeners. Um, now, Truss has got a lot of policy successes, he says. Um, <laughs> if we stretch the meaning of success, success. And as Trade Secretary under her belt? That sort of global Britain agenda was made Foreign Secretary. Um, not had a lot of time to make waves there um, has seemed to be quite hawkish over china appeared in a tank wearing military uniform fans of margaret thatcher and or liz kendall uh, oh, God, well will, uh, will no doubt remember um however so you picked pretty patel at the start of the year because you talked about that sort of culture war element that the tories w- would lead on and actually a lot of the under ra- under the radar stuff the sort of anti-refugee bill that's out at the moment, the uh, cracking down on on protests as well. There's a lot of really quite sinister, quite authoritarian legislation that Priti Patel is leveraging through the columns that I think means, although this is a high-scoring draw, you could even claim, if this was a cup final, which thankfully it's not, listeners, if it was a cup final,
1: Patel would probably win this on penalties. Yeah, well, I, think I think that's fair. Um, not just because it's my pick. Um, uh, I think I said earlier it almost feels a little bit kind of you know, gauche to like go, and, go in go and claim that your own pick has uh, has done the best. But you say that I will be doing that on at least more than one on at least one occasion today. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I do think it is fair to say that Patel is is, is, is probably comes ahead on, on on points there just just simply because if you look at what they've both achieved. Um, in the past year, you can point to some very solid um, like s- successes quote unquote as horrific as they actually are on P- on Patel's side. and you can't really necessarily do that with trust. Um, as uh, when she was responsible for international trade, yeah, she got some deals signed, but they've all been relatively minor things, or just recreating what you know deals we already had from from when we were in the E.U. So they've not necessarily been particularly groundbreaking. Um, but she hasn't screwed anything up, which, to be honest, in many ways, that's just the bench. That, that, that that's may, may not be a high bar to get over for the uh, for members of the government, but given how many of them have screwed up you know what, like, credit where credit's due, credit's due in that regard, trust hasn't screwed up. Also doesn't seem to have organised a Christmas party in yep. 2020,
0: mm-hmm. which actually probably is top top rung.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Didn't
0: bully her senior officials as well, if we are to believe? Well, there's no evidence of it happening, so. And some uh, high court injunctions, which... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the... We haven't talked much on the podcast about a lot of the this sort of home office. sorry, that's the ice jingling my gin and tonic you can probably hear. Um we're a, we are a, a proper working class podcast this one. But um, so some of the stuff in in the uh, anti-asylum seeker bill that the Board of Deputies put out a really interesting Twitter thread on. And the the thing that is striking is the proposal that helping an asylum seeker enter the UK won't need to be for gain to attract criminal liability uh, and, and, and re-
1: managing to revoke people's citizenship as well. Two separate things there on the, um, you know, uh, needing to, m- removing the notion of it being for gain to help people um, enter the UK to make it a criminal uh, uh, offence. That effectively criminalises the, uh, uh, you know, the RNLI. It, it means and if, if there is another boat which is sinking and lives are in danger, it is a criminal offense to save them because you're not just going to you're not going to send them over to france you're going to turn around if you can get them out of the sea and bring them to the uk because that's what you do literally it is a uh, it, it is an hour it's now law that you cannot save drowning people and you can be prosecuted for it which is absolutely mental and on the second point of the uh, you know b- being able to strip um, british citizenship I believe there's been some kind of like estimates on this because of how um, a lot of other countries handle like uh, rights to citizenship and, and things like that. And it's the ability to claim another country's citizenship, which is being used as the test um, for whether or not like citizenship could be stripped off of somebody. There are an awful lot of ethnic minority Britons who obviously come from uh, their families, come from a lot of different places all over the world. Um, a lot of them legally. Can, I, I could apply for a lot of these, uh, well, could apply for citizenship from those nations where their families come from under their laws, which means anywhere between twenty and fifty percent of ethnic minority Britons could be at risk from having their citizenship stripped away, like if the government wanted to do that. Which again is absolutely mental, and that's before we even get onto the like the the the, the notion as like I think you mentioned earlier the the board of deputies. Um, Obviously, the voice, uh, uh, a significant voice in the Jewish community. Well, every single Jewish individual, I believe worldwide, has the right to Israeli citizenship. That means under this law, a government could turn around, remove the citizenship of every single Jewish person in the UK like that. And it would be completely legal and and, uh, allowable because they could all just go to Israel. It's a completely shocking and quite underreported
0: chain of events that's going on. A a few hundred people crossing the channel every week is not a reason to to do what is is being done in this bill. No. It's the fact you then had tragically twenty seven people drown, essentially because you've got the UK and the French government grandstanding about yep. this and. Uh, trying to put their own domestic politics first rather than rather than people who genuinely need help and the fact that immigration rose up as an issue because of this it it's genuinely shocking and the fact that I think at the start of the year you talked about the sort of culture war in a very uh, usually when we've talked about it it tends to be about things like flags or what's on television or a woman played James Bond Steve and that is horrific and terrible but here you have it in what is Genuinely quite scary legislation being passed. We haven't even talked about the the protesting legislation and the sort of expanse of stop and search there, which is a, a proper chilling effect on the right to protest. It's not just a, a sort of the insulate Britain stuff. It, it it's much wider than that, and it's genuinely quite authoritarian.
1: Which will be the, at the top of any um, sensible to do list for for Labour um, at some when when next in power to repeal, not not yeah to yeah, yeah yeah to repeal yeah. yeah. just, just making look I'm not, I not a vet. Cooper <laughs> just leave that in LJ. speaking of shadow cabinet members <laughs> uh, I picked Ed Miliband and you picked Lisa Andy. I'll be honest from my perspective like I don't feel like like neither of them have had a bad year in, in the grand scheme of things but I don't, I, don't I, I struggle to think of any particular instance where either of them have particularly like had a defining moment like there's there's nothing that I can think of that's been been like a major point of cut through for either of them, um, in terms of like narratives or stories or, or, or anything like that. They've both had some, I suspect, minor successes, but nothing that really stands out. So, my gut instinct is to actually go draw on this. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, it's always difficult, I think, for opposition politicians to cut through. It's been
0: especially yeah. different difficult in this pandemic we've been living through. Uh, I think It's definitely a high score draw if it's a draw. I I think both are obviously quite trusted. Both have been assured media performers. Ed Miliband did PMQs. It's like being in 2013 again. Except he was actually the better performer in this one. (laughs) Oh, Ed bested David Cameron. At times. (laughs) I think what's interesting, actually, there was a shadow cabinet reshuffle. uh, And I think it's interesting the change in portfolios, actually. So, Lisa Nandy went from shadow foreign secretary to the sort of communities levelling up, which on paper is a demotion in practice. I really don't
1: think it is because if there's one thing we know about Lisa Nandy, Steve, she likes towns, loves towns. Also, it's the sort of area where I think that like Nandy to, to my mind is the sort of politician who will quite like to come up with ideas and solutions to, to things and policies. And I think that's the sort of area where due to her love of towns, she'll be able to kind of shine quite nicely. It may not be shining into, in the sense of being a media, having a media spotlight shone on her, but it will be in terms of building up the base for policies that form part of the next mm-hmm. manifesto. And, and then Miliband and
0: the was, at the start of the year, he was business and climate change. has Had business taken away from him and has the, the climate change portfolio uh, and i think i mean there was some briefing wasn't there around the time of labour conference about milliband going a bit out there on climate change and i think part of where um labour wants to go is about emphasizing the business bit um and so milliband i think will still be a massive performer in the in, in the media as will nandy but i think that slight shift uh indicates i think partly that, that's, Keir a little bit more secure. He's got... He, he feels able, I think, to take the shadow cabinet where he wants to take it, yeah. which I think is a good a good point. Again, it's, it's similar to your cabinet. The cabinet, I think, probably Nandy wins on a penalty shootout. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um,
0: the next one, you pick Dehenna Davison.
1: I pick <laughs> Steve Baker. Do we even need to go into this?
0: Well... We could do a side rant. So, uh, Dehenna Davison did not make uh, yeah. Shadow Under Secretary for Paperclips. Yeah, no, the not. role reserved for Gary Sandbrook in the government when he eventually makes that hallowed front bench position. Um, be Sandbrook's not making front bench position. <laughs> well, we can be hopelessness. Brexit hardman Steve Baker has definitely organised the COVID re- rec- recovery, recovery group, COVID research group, one of the CRGs anyway. And... It's, in, it's in more clear day by day that the government is unable to bring in any proper legislation with the support of its backbenchers. And the fact that we've had Plan B delayed until uh, I think the, the, the day before we're recording this is because Tory backbenchers would not wear any restrictions. And comes back to what we're saying about the Pretty Patel stuff it's a bit blooming rich to be honest that you've got Tory MPs on the one hand saying we can't possibly wear masks in pubs that's a great infringement to our liberty but are quite happy to vote through legislation that takes away uh, and citizenship and massively limits the ability of people to protest it's a complete double standard and incredible on the other hand Brexit hardman Steve Baker is quite
1: He's been quite influential. Um, um, I don't I, think there's any doubt <laughs> with this one. My, my, my selection of Davison was based on a, 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 an idea that they would want some newer, younger um, faces uh, making their way into government, which hasn't happened in general. Uh, and she's kind of just vanished into the background a little bit. To think you could have gone with a Saj. I
0: could have. Well,
1: oh. I don't think any of us thought he'd be on the way back
0: no it's interesting that isn't it and again he's part uh, it, the fact that he it's a slight aside the fact he's being booed in the commons this week is very very telling was he, what was he booed for uh i don't know they asked him to resign didn't he sorry he was because he, he's they're wearing masks steve oh i this see is Britain. Ah, right. we didn't become a great country by telling people they had to do things moving on politician not from Either Labour or Conservatives. You picked Nicola Sturgeon for this one. I picked Ed Davey and hello, Mark, by the way. Uh, yeah. we said Davey was winning this, uh, when we checked in halfway through the year. We'd have the Cheshire and Amersham by election. Obviously, Ed Davey's strategy for now, between now and the next election, is that he's going to demolish bigger and bigger blue walls with bigger and bigger implements. Yeah. So by general election 2024, they're, they're going to paint Hadrian's wall blue.
1: And it's me, be Ed Dave and a JCB just driving through it. No, I think you'll find it'll be you'll be travelling over to China, uh, painting a section of the Great Wall below, and driving this JCB through that. See, actually, Liz trusts my support that she's been very hawkish. Well, this this, this is this is my thing, and this is why, why why I said it because it means you can also uh, have a view of what the uh, uh, Lib Dem foreign policy actually is for once. Tom Tugendhat would be well down with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we we are unfortunately recording this before the North Shropshire by election, uh, which. I would not want to be a Tory canvassing in North Shropshire right now. No, absolutely not. Uh, So we don't know if there's been a a good Lib Dem result there or
1: or not, or or a good Labour result. Who knows? Because there have been um, some mixed signals uh, being put out by both uh, Labour and the Lib Dems. Um, Labour were putting out some... Uh, some polling, which had them in second, strongly in second place, making significant gains over the uh, up against the Conservatives, mm. and this was before all of the the Christmas party stuff here and and, and everything as well. Uh, so so yeah, that that that's the thing. But the Lib Dems, from based on their groundwork, are in a seemingly quite confident. Um, to the extent where a, a lot of them on Twitter were getting quite angry at Labour for putting out polling that suggested they might be in with a shout. Well, Labour, Steve, were doing dastardly things like actually pointing out what
0: had actually happened in previous general elections, uh, which is unforgivable. Yeah, clearly, yeah. I, I I think David wins this one. Again, we we like to keep an eye on the Lib Dems, and we're not going to talk about them as much as we should, unfortunately, because uh, we've we've got dinner to go to and more gin to drink. But... I think if you were Ed Davey and you said at the start of this year, you're going to make some decent gains at local government. You're going to win a by-election, a 25% swing. You're going to come close in another one. I think that's job done, really. Yeah, absolutely. Fine. So, speaking of people whose year hasn't quite worked out the way they would want, commentator, I've picked Andrew Neal uh, for this one. Oh, boy. <laughs> to keep an eye on GB News. You picked Victoria Newton, the others for The Sun.
1: Yeah. I mean, poor Andrew Neil <laughs> in many ways. G B News was not what he wanted it to be. He's left. You I think you chose him because it was, you know, in, in theory as like was he chairman? I think I think so, presenter. Yeah, yeah, as as chairman and presenter and a presenter on G B News, uh, he had in theory had the capacity to massively have an impact on the way um, the media reported things and driving uh, stories and things like that, and, and yeah, lots of potential there. It didn't work out. Um, GB News has just gone down the. I don't even think it's much of an exaggeration to say this the far right rabbit hole. Um, I think as Tony Blair might say, they retreated to their comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, as 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 a result, whilst it's it's not doing badly in terms of you know, bringing in viewers in comparison to like the other 24-hour news channels. They got Donald Trump on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let, let's be real, it's, it's, the, the figures it's getting are not groundbreaking. They're not actually, like, massively going to shift the way that people are are, are consuming news. They are groundbreaking in, in one form or another, but
0: probably less said of that i mean we had a big discussion about this when we checked in yeah. and i don't think there's much to say I, I, I think you're right it's it's interesting it has failed as badly as it has it's become a a, a sort of ecosystem for the far right that brought in Nigel Farage fine um it's one of those oh what was the word they used in the populist thing like, like almost they, they've become sort of professional agitators yeah essentially um whereas victoria newton Uh, What I mean, the Sun have uh, broken the Matt Hancock story. Mm -hmm. That in itself moved and shook quite widely. Um, Interestingly, didn't go with the front page of the Christmas party. I mean, I can't think why that would have been. But it was interesting. They did then criticise Johnson once Plan B had been introduced and we'll probably talk about this more in the other podcast, but just as an aside, in case you want a teaser, listeners, uh, of, of what we might talk about um, after I've had some wine and gin talking about Boris Johnson's common strategy, which is the only way to think about it, really. The fact that you, have a, you cannot have a strategy to distract from COVID, your breaking of COVID restrictions, when that strategy in itself is bringing in more COVID restrictions, and it's hard for the sun, say, to cover a story about a Christmas party. On its own. It's very easy to, for them to have a front page to say, well, you're just being a bloody hypocrite, aren't you? Yeah. So I think Victoria Newton wins this one. I'd so. Lovely. However,
1: mm-hmm.
0: the wild card pick, I picked Jonathan Fantam.
1: Yeah.
0: Partly because everyone likes his metaphors. And partly because, obviously, this this was at the start of 2021. This would all be about when are we going to have um, restrictions eased after the vaccine. Fantam's going to be a massive figure in the room and have to sell it to the public. And he has done that. Mm -hmm. Well done me. Almost makes up for saying that Michael Gove will be Home Secretary this year. (laughs) You picked Dan Rosenfeld, Boris Johnson's chief of staff. It made sense at the time, I swear. (laughs) And you said that you weren't expecting miracles, but there was potential for Johnson to improve. And maybe Dan Rosenfeld was the person who would bring grip to the number 10 operation. How did that go, Steve? I don't think it went
1: very well. No, I don't think it, it, don't think it well at all. Um, so. Yeah. I, I, if, we're saying, if, if we hold that the uh, Chief of Staff is a very uh, influential position and that uh, the Chief of Staff has the ability to control or, or ruin a uh, an office, I think it's fair to say that given the state of number 10 currently, uh, he's not done a very good job. This is Boris Johnson's fault, not Dan Rosenfeld's fault, I think. I mean, yeah. there's been briefings
0: on him uh, essentially saying that he, he's a civil servant, not a politician, yeah. especially over the Owen Patterson stuff. He's maybe one of those people who should have been saying to Johnson pretty firmly, you cannot do the stupid thing you're about to do because it's very stupid. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, as we saw from Allegra Stratton this week, anyone who goes in with Boris Johnson I almost said who goes into bed with Boris Johnson I mean that, that is literally and figuratively true but anyone who sets out to work with Boris Johnson is going to be tainted by the fact that the man is a moral vacuum and a terrible terrible
1: human being and has no loyalty to no him he's throwing them all under the bus yeah 100% like he will happily do so to just to continue in, in the sense it
0: was the impossible job Dom, Dan Rosenfeld is the Graham Taylor of 2021 and that's how we end this Movers and Shakers episode however if you are one of those lovely people and hello to you all by the way uh, especially Ian whose question we're going to specifically reference in the Patreon episode we are imminently going to record we are going to talk about that Christmas party we might even have cheese and wine while we're doing it so it's definitely not a work talk and if you want to hear what we're going to say about that Christmas party and about the incompetence of, wow. uh, and about the various malfeasance that Boris Johnson's been up to, in that it's been a. Actually, we should have mentioned it. It's, it was, this week, Steve was Crime Week on the grid. Was it? It really was. Oh wow, that, that's gone well for them. And if you want to hear about how well Crime Week went, listeners,
1: who are you going to have to rob? Oh, Sorry, I can't go over the fact that it was Crime Week. I didn't even genuinely didn't even know that.
0: With this government, Steve, <laughs> every week. It's Crime Week. Oh But yeah, you can head over to Did the you phone. not see Boris Johnson dressed in a police uniform?
1: I did. I just didn't put two and two together that it was cause it was Crime Week. I thought it was just you thought it was a hen party that got out of control. Well it is Johnson. Um, but yeah. Just Head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne for a few pounds every month. You can help keep this podcast going and gain access to unique uh, episodes like the one we're gonna record imminently on the uh, uh the wonderful, wonderful world of Downing Street parties.
0: There is one that we recorded with Shaz. I think we made reference to it last week. Um obviously Steve was out of Pepper Big World and the Wi Fi of Pepper Big World, Steve. Atrocious. It
1: really is bad. Like they've, they've 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 invested in the mass transit network, but they've not invested in 5G, it appears. So that will be coming
0: up once the Wi-Fi has improved in South Birmingham. Uh until then, Dave Depper composed our theme june. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram. Our website's not champagne.com. Our Facebook page is Facebook.com forward slash Not Champagne. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting.